Welcome to Going Off the Record. I'm Colin Williams, and this is where I talk with the executives, entrepreneurs, athletes, and changemakers working to make this world a little bit better every day. You'll hear their true stories, their failures, their successes, and most importantly, you'll learn what makes them tick. So let's get going off the record. So everybody here, we are here with uh, Nathan Gerby, who is my, I believe, cousin-in-law is the right term. First cousin of my wife, Leslie. Nathan's been a professional hockey player for 14 years, and he's endured a lot, jumped a lot of hurdles, done a lot of amazing things to have a a professional hockey career, including a lot of years in the NHL. And so I think there's a lot of advice that he can pass on and give to people. uh, And that's why I wanted to bring him on. Obviously, this is usually a business podcast, but I think that Nathan has a ton of advice and and a lot of life experience that translate to what we do in business. And soon he may be joining the business world. Who knows? So I think this would be a really interesting podcast and a lot of fun. So thanks for coming on, Nate. Thank you, Colin. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, cousin-in-law, I, I believe, is the correct term. And uh, yeah, for those listening on business, as, as much as you guys agree, you know, when it comes down to habits and skills, there's kind of no difference in between what I do and what you do, you know, except you're better at what you do and I'm better at what I do. But when it comes <laughs> to the details and the habits, we have the same habits to be successful. So for anyone listening in business, believe me, it's the same habits as a professional athlete. It's just a different skill set. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I always say when people ask, you know, where'd you get your work ethic? Where'd you find the way to like plow through bad things that happen? My response is always sports. It's the thing that, I mean, it actually amazes me that there's successful business people who haven't played sports because it's taught me so much about teamwork and the ability to just, you know, fight through things and injuries and everything else that happens. It gives you some gumption. It gives you some fortitude to just keep motoring on. So I could not agree more. I think everything that has got made you successful in your career is directly applicable to people in business. So let's talk about that stuff. Just a couple of ground rules. Like this is all about being candid and being yourself. So even though it's being recorded, as I always like to say, we're going off the record. Obviously that's the title. So, and beyond that, there's no rules. So like I said, this is all about learning about you, making what makes you tick, how you think, what you've experienced and what you can pass on. So let's get rolling. Obviously, most people who are listening to this won't know this, but Nathan has a really interesting story just from a family, right? He's got a big family <laughs> and it's getting bigger. Kids <laughs> are coming from left and right. But tell us about where you're from, your background, your parents, your siblings, all that good stuff. Yeah, you're, you're right, Colin. Big family, big family personally for myself, but larger family in the bigger picture. I'm from Oxford, Michigan, and I'm, I'm the youngest of six kids, three sisters and two brothers and two really hardworking parents who you know, kind of instilled all of our qualities in us. And we're all thankful. We're all better, you know, either a husband or a wife or a parent for that. And, you know, we always, uh, you know, us kids always reflect and say how thankful we were to have parents to teach us the way. Yeah. Now, yeah, I mean, I know, I know both your parents. And I think, you know, the one thing I definitely think about when I think about your parents is hard work. My God, just because as we've talked about raising six kids, that's hard work alone. Forget about like, you know, putting food on the table, making money, doing all that other stuff, but just having six kids, my God. So tell us a little bit about your parents and, you know, your journey into hockey. I know your dad got you into hockey. Your dad has a huge passion for hockey. So just a little bit about that and and how it all started. Yeah. Like you said, my father, he played hockey, so he had a huge passion for the game. And I was kind of one that was just born into it. You know, I don't think uh, maybe some other kids watch hockey when they're younger and fell in love with the sport. I don't know. I was just born and loved it. Um, I had no other choice, I think, too. And you know, my brother, my brothers both played hockey. They were they were deep into it. So 
you know, for me being the youngest of six kids, I was the dedicated cheerleader of the family. I, you know, whether it was watching my sisters play sports or my brothers play hockey, it was like, that was kind of my job to be, I, one, I would critique them all. So maybe that's what I learned. Maybe I learned. You were the pain in the ass little brother. <laughs> yeah, I critiqued them all. I mean, I, yeah, I was the brother in the stands being like, oh, why didn't Joey do that? Or why didn't Jeff do that? Jeff should have did that. You know, like, yeah, I was probably three years old at the time and uh, I quickly became enemies with all of them after that. But yeah, I, I, you know, I just, I just moved right into it. I was the young, again, the youngest of six where there wasn't a lot of time for me. So I begged my parents to play until I think eight years old, they put me in. And, you know, after that, I kind of just, yeah, the rest is history. But yeah, my, even my parents said today, I, they had no plans to put me in any sports just because of uh, the time constraints. They just couldn't do it. Wow. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your sisters and, you know, what sports they played and, and what influence that had on you. And then we can talk about your brothers and the hockey journey and all that good stuff. But, you know, what sports did you, you know, Shannon is unbelievable athlete. I know that just the biking and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but what did they play growing up and what did you take from the sports that your sisters played? Yeah, my sisters, they, they played everything. So they played softball, they played volleyball, they played soccer, they played basketball, track. And I think that may be it. But yeah, they, all three of them played everything and they're all really, really good at it. They're all great athletes. But, you know, just watching them and the way how we were raised, I remember young when my parents even said my father especially would say, I don't care what sports you're going to do, but you're going to do this with hard work and you're going to do it dedicated and you're going to do it to be the best out there. You're not, you're not going to play something for fun because one, we don't have the money for to play something for fun and we don't have right. the time to put you in for something for fun, which is as a being a parent now, which is gosh, that's so true. Um, <laughs> as much as I, I would love to say like, Hey, I could throw you in everything. We could do it for fun, but I don't have the time to do that because I got to get other siblings and, and other kids elsewhere. So if you were going to do this sport, I don't care what sport it is, you're going to do it very, very hard. And that was kind of my message from my dad, but even to the girls, right? They were playing volleyball. He was just as hard on, on them and their sports as he was on us because it wasn't about the sport. It was about more of what you're going to learn in life and, and what you're going to have to work for in life. And, you know, when, when we're doing stuff, we're doing it to win. We're doing it to be the best. I wish we did have extra time and, and you know, extra money to throw kids and stuff for fun, but unfortunately we didn't. Yeah. And whatever we were doing had to be dedicated to where it, it made it worth it for my parents to go and watch and to see us put that effort out, you know, that would be, you know, good for them. But if they didn't see the effort yeah, we would, you know, they would get the effort out in other ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. It's, it's, I mean, it's awesome that you had sisters and they did all this athletic stuff, but I know like what I've always found interesting now that is, and here's the reality. I got into hockey for people who don't know at 36 years old, honestly because of you guys like i joined leslie's family and was like holy shit if if i don't learn about hockey i'm not going to have anything to talk about with 90 percent of this family <laughs> so that's a you know that's why i took it up and I, you know i've i've fallen like kind of head of head over heels for it right you know football was my sport growing up but hockey has just become something that i am i'm more passionate about than i ever was about football and, and i suck i'm absolutely atrocious but that's fine um but what i've learned is that the hockey journey is very, very different from traditional sports, right? Like you grow up in football and you play for your local team, you play, you know, Pop Warner, uh, then you go to your high school, you play for your high school. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to play in college, but different story, right? But that's the path and that's the path in soccer and, you know, basketball for the most part, there's all that AEU stuff, but hockey is a very different journey. And you make a lot of, I think if you're good at it, like you guys obviously all were, you make a lot of different decisions earlier on 
you know, in a child's life than you would in other sports. And so I'm really interested to hear sort of, you know, your brother's path, juniors, all those types of things, and then how that influenced what happened to you and the path that you took. Yeah, it, you know, you're absolutely right. When I reflect on hockey compared to other sports, is like you said, you know, football, basketball, soccer, you kind of grow up in this system of school and you're playing for the, the school and you're playing for the district and you're playing for that. Hockey forces you to grow up a little bit quicker um, yep. because, you know, you can only play, you don't play high school unless you live in Minnesota. Everywhere else, <laughs> yeah, else you just play travel hockey, but there becomes an age where you have to go to a better program or to a junior club. And for me, that was at 14, I moved to Omaha. So like I said, you have to make these decisions really, really young for these kids. And, you know, whether it's fair or not, which I don't think that's a very good, fair way to do it. It it is what it is. Um, And you make the best of it. But yeah, reflecting off what you said about my brother going a different path, he went to the Canadian hockey, then Canadian university. And I, you know, I was a big fan of watching him and I loved the major junior. I loved the OHL growing up. I watched every game. I just felt like for me, that was not the path. You know, I felt like going to college just gave me more opportunity if I didn't make it. Not that I was betting against myself. Right. <laughs> you're hedging your bets. <laughs> yeah. It's just you're looking at it and you're saying, you know what? You just never know. And, you know, I'm very thankful to do that, Rob, because I, man, some of my best memories is still still going to college and the people I met and you know, just the, the atmosphere. And I loved it. So I'm, I'm very grateful and thankful for that. But everyone has their own different path. I've seen as many teammates as I had in the past, you know, 14 years of pro and then even go farther into college and juniors. Man, everyone has a different path. And it's so fun to learn about everyone's path because you think as a kid, like, oh, how did that person make it with that path? And you start to learn that it's not so much about the path. It's so much about the individual and what they're willing to go through. And that's why you, you know, you see the end result when they get to the, whether it's the NHL or just professional in general or college, that they get there because it's about the individual, not about necessarily the path. Yeah. I think there's something that you mentioned that probably a lot of people um, who would listen to this are going to be floored by, which is, you know, you left home at 14. And it's, I think there's probably a lot of parents who just can't even imagine having their kid go away. But there is the part of me too, that says, well, you know, that's a life experience. How many kids get to say, I went away at 14. So just tell us a little bit about that. I mean, you couldn't even drive. What was it like to, to go to Omaha and be on your own at that age? You know, Colin, it's crazy. Even even if you reflect on, on Grayson and think about add the years to 14 and say, oh, right. are you ready to let him go out of the house? And and man, I look at my kids. My daughter's turning seven. It's like, man, seven years. Could I be comfortable with sending her out if she was very passionate and good at something? You know, the way I look at it, Colin, is that and the way I look at parenting, too, is you know, I never want to like be the person to stop my kid from growing or, you know, pursuing something that they passionately love because, you know, overall in life, right. And you can even attest to this. If you can find something you're very, very passionate about, do it forever. Right. Because that's the key in life, right. Is finding things that you really, really enjoy and that are passionate about. So again, like when I, you know, reflect back, my parents letting me go, I was at a stage where I was you know, on the ice, good enough to play with between, I think it was up to 21 year olds at the time. So, you know, I was good enough to play, you know, do you really want to be the parent to hold your kid back? So I think at that point, yeah, my parents just made a leap of faith, right? It's almost sink or swim. You're going out there, you're going to face the adversity, but man, what I learned doing that has helped me so much throughout my career because, you know, as a young kid, you get faced with many decisions and learning how to make those little decisions that have major impacts on our lives. 
was important that I make them decisions by myself. You know, it easily could have went the other way, but you know, fortunate enough, my parents taught me a good base, which we all hope to teach our kids a good base, a good foundation that they can, you know, make the correct decisions on their own. And I guess that, you know, really when I'm parenting, that's like my overall goal. I hope I can create a good enough base and foundation for my kids that when they are on their own, they're able to make the right decisions. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that I was able to do that, but I was only able to do that because of the way I was taught growing up and what I knew what was most important growing up. And that helped me a lot. And it still does today. So again, yeah, it's, it's scary. I can't tell you today if I'm ready to send my kid out because I'm not. <laughs> but man, it's going to be a tough decision down the road. But ultimately, if the kid's passionate enough and you feel you know, decent, good enough that the kid will do well, I, you know, I think let him try it out. I mean, the, the worst thing that can happen, it fails. And how you respond there is, is going to be important. Yeah. And they come back home and it's fine. I, you know, it's, I don't know if you've ever known, but I have a tattoo on my arm that says the only risk you regret is the one you don't take. Yeah. And I've always sort of, my mom was very, very conservative about letting us do things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm certainly not knocking my upbringing in any way, but I think my philosophy is very different from hers, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, if my kid wants to try jumping off the house and he thinks that there's some value to that, then I'm probably going to let him try. And, you know, if he breaks both his arms, he's going to learn a lesson, right? But the problem is if I don't let him jump, then he's going to sit there and wonder and wonder and wonder. And to me, that creates bigger problems, right? That creates a rebellion that creates, I was never allowed to do anything. So now I'm going to do everything. Yeah. And that's scary stuff, right? But you're right. I mean, you know, my kid's six, like, could I imagine only eight more years with him running around and then sending him off? But if that's what he wanted to do, I'm with you. Like, why would I ever hold him back and, and tell him not to do that? That would be stupid. Yeah, um, I agree. I don't believe in a ceiling. I don't in anything. I don't care what it's not just hockey. It's anything. If it, you look at the world today and the, the people who are, who are who do some incredible things that are successful, it it's a passion that they've had when they're young. It starts when they're young, you know, directed in different ways, depending on what you do. But man, I, I, there's not a ceiling. I, I don't care if it's academically. I don't care what it is. There's no ceiling for me. You know, my right. daughter, who's crazy good in school. OK, there's no ceiling for me. Let's keep going. You know, I'm not one of those people like, oh, well, that's third grade stuff. You shouldn't do that. No, no. If you're ready, let's do it. Like, let's go. Yeah. Like, that's going to stop you. So let's just yeah. keep, keep it going because I don't want to be the person to stop you because you should be able to explore what you're willing to do. And I think that's the biggest way to learn about yourself. Yeah. No, I, I agree a thousand percent. I mean, you got to try a million different things to find what you love. And hey, you know what? Winning a Nobel Prize is just as cool as winning a gold medal in hockey. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's so many different paths that you can take that lead to amazing things. And, you know, starting a business like that, this is a pretty cool thing. It's been a, an interesting ride for me. Yep. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, but you're never going to become the person that does that if you're held back your entire life, because that's all you're going to be comfortable doing. Yep. You're just going to be comfortable being held back. And you don't, you certainly, I agree with you, you do not want to be the parent that prevents your kid from figuring out what they can actually be. So you went to Omaha, then the path to Omaha, I think led to Ann Arbor. So what was that like? I mean, you got to represent the United States. I've always thought in my mind, like the coolest thing in the world would be to play hockey and have USA in my jersey. But you got to go to the developmental team. Tell us about that journey and what it was like to go to world juniors and do all those amazing things. Yeah, it's amazing. Like like you said, you get to put your country on your, uh, on your sweater and put it over. Like I get to wear that. And that's, you know, that's something to not uh, really take lightly or for granted. Maybe when you're younger, you do. But when you reflect now and, you know, even at different stages, I've had the chance to do that again. And it's just, 
man, it's an amazing feeling. What a great feeling that you can have to go represent your country and go to these international tournaments and, and compete for your country. And, you know, I've won, you know, bronze medals and silver medals and gold medals. And God, it's some of my biggest accomplishments because you get to do it for your country. There's no, God, there's no greater than that. And the thing I always felt when we did those types of tournaments was that a lot of the egos and stuff, they're gone. Like, because we all just, it's all playing for one thing and that's the country. That's the team. Right. Um, and that I think putting on that sweater does that for you. You know, you you could be the best player in the world, but you know when you put on the sweater of USA or whether the Canadians do it for the Olympics, that's like almost bigger than the NHL. You know, for those guys, and and it means a lot. So, yeah, but to be able to do that to play for USA for many tournaments is uh, definitely high on my list. Yeah, I mean, what a cool thing, right? I always think about it, and you know what makes me sad is you see certain athletes, and I'm not I'm not going to get into names here, but who take that for granted. Um, I thought there was certainly some examples at the Winter Olympics this year. Once again, I'm not going to mention names, yeah. but um, it just amazes me that you would ever take that experience and say, yeah, I don't, whatever, you know, and I guess if you're good enough, like I was just never a good enough athlete that I had those opportunities. Well, but, that becomes down, like, you know, what it comes down to Colin, like, and again, if you think about what do you really want to teach your kids? Yeah. And for me, the number one thing on the list, like, and we have it written down, the kids can see it. I talked to them about it. I talked about it probably every day is respect. Yeah. It's the number one thing on my list for kids. And, you know, it's our parenting model respect. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care who you like, who you don't like. It doesn't matter to me. Number one is respect. Yep. You respect things, you respect people. I don't care who they are. You respect them. Yep. Uh, um, you can have your different opinions, but. Man, you you cross that boundary on respect with me, like now. <laughs> you know, like That's because, when dad gets pissed. <laughs> yeah, well, I tell him all the time. You know, my you know the, the three things for me are respect, hard work, and attitude. Those are three things. You do whatever you want, but you you cross the boundaries on those. That's when I get mad. Yep. Um. So those are the three things that I care about, and those are the three things basically that we were raised off of. And man, it kills me to see that stuff. You know, it kills me. Like yeah. You know, when I see people represent their country, then, you know, whether they want to bash their country or whatever, you you know, their opinion, that's their opinion. They could do whatever they want with their opinion. But, man, when you're on that stage, you you respect the country. Uh, yep. You respect all countries. I don't really care. <laughs> I don't care if you're, you know, competing against someone from Canada, you know, China, Russia. It doesn't matter. You respect everyone. Yep. And, and especially your own country that you're representing. Or don't put the jersey on. That's the thing, right? If, if yeah, this doesn't country. mean anything to you, then don't do it. Like, yes. I, I've... I've always thought that. And it's interesting. Those two, three things you mentioned, right? Those are all 1000% in your control. Yep. <laughs> and it's that simple. You can control the level of attitude you have, the level of hard work, the level of respect. You control all of that. So you can't ever say like, oh, well, you know, I shouldn't do this because I shouldn't have any respect because of it. No, it's your choice. Yeah, right? it's your choice. You respect everyone. I, like, yeah, I, I'll get so mad at my kids if I see them disrespect people and they don't. And, and we're very lucky right now. Like, we have kids who understand that. We have kids who are learning and we're, we're continually teaching them. But man, it, it there's nothing more that would drive me crazy than that. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I always tell Grayson like the one thing and he sees not to get into politics, but he sees the Ukrainian flag hanging up everywhere right now. Yep. And he, he doesn't know anything about it and he shouldn't. Right. Yeah. Um, but he sees it. And what I've taught him is that flag means no bullies. Right. And so he sees it and he goes, Hey dad, there's the no bullies flag. Yeah. And what I've always taught him is like, you will because he's big, right? This kid's big, and I'm like, you will never be a bully, like, and that's that's a respect thing, right? It's a hundred percent a respect thing. You will never be a bully. If I ever see anything like that, we're gonna have a huge problem. <laughs> yep. 
Oh yeah. Oh but yeah. It's, yeah. I would, I would lose it. I would, that would make me snap on my kid. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's uh, and again, I go back from growing up and that was, you know, my parents always said, if you ever start anything, you're in deep trouble. Uh, yep. But if someone starts something with you, you better finish it. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was literally what was told to us all the time. And, you know, I'll say that to my kids. If someone wants to do something or bully you, you take care of it. Right. You can't have dad jump in there for you as much as I would love to, but I won't. <laughs> you got to learn to do it yourself because if you never face that fear, you never face that bully, you've never faced that adversity, then you're going to struggle your whole life. Uh, yeah. And for me, I learned real quick. And obviously, having older siblings, I learned even quicker. Yeah, you don't start anything, man. Like, that's, yeah, you do that, you're in trouble. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's just no point, right? It makes no sense. I, I've never understood it. And it's funny, you know, I came, I grew up and I was part of the football crowd, right? We were very different, I think, from maybe other schools. I don't know. But we were incredibly respectful. We just didn't do that shit. And, you know, if you saw something like that happening, you stopped it. And, but it was weird that I think people assumed, and you probably experienced this in your life too. People assume because you're an athlete that that's the way you roll. Yeah. Um, And it's not true. For me, my experience has always been, and maybe it's just because I hang out with good, normal guys. But it's always my experience. It was the opposite, right? You didn't do those things. And, and that was completely out of bounds. And if you saw it, you got involved because it's just fucked up. Right? Yeah. Well, you see these movies now. They always have the athlete bowling people or the football player, or the star at the school. You know, they're right. they're bowling these kids. And it's like, but one, why do we even have to show it? Two, this is not true. Right. You know, I know the bowling happens everywhere, but strictly try to label it as, oh, it's the athlete doing that. But no, most athletes you know, they, they seem to have respect and, you know, they learn that through competing with their teammates and being a team player and all that. And I think that's, you know, there's a lot of valuable lessons there. Yeah. Well, let's get back to a little bit of the hockey journey. So obviously you mentioned major junior, you know, I know Joe, Joey played and, and that you considered the OHL, but you took a different path and went to BC. So tell us a little bit about how you made that decision and, and why you chose the college route. It seems now that college is becoming more popular just from what I'm watching. I, I've noticed more Canadian kids are coming down and playing for the seal and stuff because they want to preserve college eligibility. But I feel like back when you did it, it was a little bit contrarian for somebody who had the opportunity to go play in the OHL, but you didn't choose that path. And I'm really curious about it. I'm a huge proponent of college. So really interested to hear. Yeah. And both pathways are great. Both pathways have proven to get to the highest level. You know, things that happen in your life, Colin, where you look back and you say, you know what? I label it now as the grace of God. Uh, yeah. Because Karma. I don't know why I, I went. I don't know what really persuaded me. I had really no knowledge of college. It was a huge leap of faith. Again, I picked Boston College basically looking at a magazine. Um, <laughs> I'm there at the time. I mean, at, probably at the time, too, I probably thought Boston was a state. Uh, <laughs> No one talks about Massachusetts. Everyone just said Boston, Boston, Boston. Yeah, the state. Like, it's a great place. You know, like, so, yeah, I remember our coach, he pushed me hard to go to college. He didn't want to see me go to the major junior. He threw me a ton of college magazines. Yeah, and I said, this one looks great. I'll, I'll, I'll go there. Um, <laughs> and that's literally how I ended up, you know, I, we ended up having conversations with the coaching staff. And then, you know, before I knew it, I had a, uh, you know, verbally committed at that time. So you can't sign when you're young. I think I was committed when I was 16. Wow. You to, yeah, you can't officially sign. So it's a verbal. Yeah, I still, that whole process, I still remember being like, man, I don't even, I'm not even sure like what happened. Am I going there or not? <laughs> like, I know I verbally told them, but I don't know. Like, like it wasn't back then. You didn't have all these computers and stuff. And, 
you know, everything online to see. And that, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. Honestly, I stepped foot on college would be two years later. And yeah, it's just, I, I call it the grace of God. I still don't understand why, but it was the greatest thing for me for my personal development and my hockey development. Yeah. I mean, my, you met your wife there. Like it's, but what was the experience like? I mean, you played for one of the most storied coaches in the history of college hockey. I would guess you learned a lot from him. And what was like going to BC? What was Coach York's philosophy on how to teach his players to play and and all that good stuff? I'm this is I'm just a fanboy right now, just curious about all these things. Yeah, sad to see Jerry step down and, and retire right now. I'm sure it's been hard for him, but man, to think I, I think I can't remember the exact years, but I want to say he's been a head coach for like 56 years or something. My God, um, that's insane. And again, you don't do that if you're not a great coach. And yeah, going to BC, it's like I didn't know anything really about Jerry, which sounds crazy because he was even going there, he was already a major figure and, and a major head coach and done wonderful things with that program. So I didn't know much about him. I remember first meeting him, his uh thick Boston accent. I couldn't understand really what he was. <laughs> I remember there was a lot of times I was like, Man, I don't know what this guy's saying. Like with that <laughs> you know, being there long enough, I picked it up. I've never been exposed to like a heavy Boston accent. So it was, that was like the first time I was like, Wow, like yeah, what's going on? Well, it's true. Like people talk about the Boston accent. I'm like, oh, I kind of just brushed it off. But you know, going to Jerry. So Jerry and then uh, Father Tony Penner. Those are the two for me. I guess the major figures at BC that have really helped me change and really helped help me uh, become who I am. Because you know, Jerry's the head of it. He he runs the program, and everything's based off the team. Everything's based off good attitudes, hard work. Jerry would get so mad at you if you miss class. More than he would be mad at you if you had a bad game or screwed something up on the ice. Yeah. Um, and that was Jerry because J- everything Jerry did was for life. And it just, you know, accumulated to hockey. But Jerry cared about the big picture and he cared about his players. And, you know, every day was sunshine and rainbows for him. He was, uh, I, I don't remember him ever having a bad day. We could lose a national championship and literally you'd see him the next day and he'd be like, oh, the sun's out. It's a great day. You know, <laughs> It's like, no, we just lost the national championship last night. Like, it was not a great day. Like, <laughs> it was not a good day, Jerry. You know, like, but but that's how he he does it every day. He's consistent. So when you come to the program, that's the culture. It's you don't bring negative attitudes anywhere. It does nobody any good. So he's the leader of it. So you have to follow. You can't come on every day and be negative and see this guy coming every day and every day is awesome. Like it's a great day and you have to follow that. Um, so yes. that, that helps the culture of the program. And then you have. Father Tony Penna, who who's a teacher, but also head of the ministry there. So he's another guy that for me, when I got to BC and got to meet him, he really helped me kind of understand who I am and, you know, understand the way I work and how I can change things personally and, you know, within a team and everything. Because um, I always say it, like I was a wild card going to BC. It was, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't on this straight and narrow pathway to Boston College. I was, you know, I was a wild card for them to take. Uh, yep. And again, we talk about respect. Well, I was raised off that. So when I got to BC, everything that I did was to prove to them that they're right on taking me. I was so scared to mess up that I was doing everything the best ability that I could because I wanted to please them so bad because, you know, they, they took a chance on me. They, you know, they gave me a scholarship, which I was forever grateful for. And yeah, I wanted, I wanted to deliver for them so bad that it was, uh, it was eating at me, you know, every day, every day that drove me to deliver for that organization. Yeah. It's neat to hear you say like that he was pissed that if you didn't go to class, right? Because that's the big thing with school now with when you see big time athletics and now all the NIL stuff. And I'm not saying it's right, wrong or indifferent. I'm not. It's not my argument to make. 
But you see coaches who just don't seem to give a shit about what happens to their kids. Like they're just, you're a mechanism to make sure that I win, which means I keep my job and get paid a lot. Yeah. Whatever happens to you doesn't really matter. And I don't care about your grades and just do enough to get by or don't, or somebody else takes your tests yeah. and all that shit. It's like, my God, what are you going to create? Like <laughs> these kids come out and they don't know how to do anything. And you were a part of that. And to realize like for you, for a coach to realize like, look, 80%, I don't know, 80% of the team, 70% of the team, 90% of the team, you're not going to play professional hockey. So yeah. you got to go do something else with your life. So I want you to be prepared and ready to do that. That's the most important thing that you can teach a kid. As you well know, you don't know when your knee is going to blow out. And then what? (laughs) So it's just good to hear that there's coaches out because sometimes I become kind of cynical and jaded and wonder like, do these guys exist? Do these women exist? Or is it just this world where all they're concerned about is how much money they can make and, and kids are just a fungible asset. Like bring them to the program, get rid of them. I don't care. doesn't matter as long as I win. Um, there's not a lot out there I'll tell you there's not Jerry's different and again that's why he lasted 56 years that's why he I I don't know how many national championships he ended up winning but that's why he has many national championships Jerry would wait at the door at your classroom (laughs) I'm not kidding you'd have an 8 a.m. class sometimes and like oh Jerry's at the door seeing if I came in like (laughs) (laughs) like he would wait like obviously he would probably pick specific guys yeah, right at the door. Like he cared. Like he cared, and you know, like you said, only probably you know maybe maybe ten percent of the team can play pro. Maybe it's fifteen percent of some teams, but the number's not large, uh, right? And so you know, he was helping people prepare for for what's next, and he gives everyone the resources and the tools to improve on that. But you got to do the work. You got to do the networking. You know, you need the extra work with the you know the you know the student teachers and such to help you out. You do that. Like he's going to help you and he's going to show you that it's there, but you have to take responsibility for that. And that's a big part of what Jerry teaches. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm never surprised with how successful he is or how good of kids come out of that program. Um, every kid I, you know, even today, like I see kids in pro hockey that come from BC and it's all the same kid. It's a good, you know, like for me, I always say it's like every kid's a good kid. Like, yeah, he, yep. it's not like, it's not by coincidence. Like he recruits good people and he keeps some good people and he turns them into good young men. Like he successfully does that over and over and over. And every BC kid that I've seen alumni come out of that program, they're all kind, they're all respectful. They're all hard work. Like, yeah, no coincidence. Yeah. It's the culture, right? And the culture reflects the coach. It's such a simple, simple thing. Well, it's like Um, a business leader, right? It's like a CEO. Like, again, like you want to steer this towards business and for the people listening, Yes. If you're running the company, the culture's on you. If you don't like your culture, that's your fault. Yep. Because you're, you're not leading it the right way. So again, like if you love your culture, you're leading it the right way. Okay, that's good. But if you're not leading it the right way, then you're going to have a shitty culture. I'm sorry. Yep. Like, and it's your fault. It's not, <laughs> it's not someone else's fault because you're the head guy. You're the lead. So you, you need to lead by example and run the company the way it, you want it to be ran. And, and the culture, it reflects on you. There's no different. Different. No. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, you either you're respectful of people and their time and their lives and you expect hard work. And that's the way that to me, things should be run. Or you can be a tyrant. You can scream at people. You can expect them to not go to their kids' soccer games. You can expect way more than they should ever have to give. And what you're going to get is a bunch of really unhappy people, tons of turnover and shitty glass door reviews. Everybody's going to hate your guts. Like 
you can go either way, right? Clearly, people are successful doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. I mean, I'd have trouble putting my head on my pillow at night, but you're right. It does amaze me. And I can think back to like, you know, I'm thinking of very, some very specific college football examples right now. Like that culture does reflect the coach. Yep. And in some, t- some cases, like I look at this and think this is an embarrassment, yeah. like an absolute embarrassment. Your team doesn't give a shit about what they do. It's penalties left and right, right? Fights. And you're proud of that. And as long as it, what scares me too, is like, as long as you win, the school's okay with it. But it really is, it is amazing. And, and you're absolutely right. And that's what you're going to create. Whoever comes out of your program, if that's how you act, mm-hmm. that's how they're going to go into the world. Yep. That's how they're going to be in business. That's how they're going to be doing whatever they do. And that's not good. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, you're right. So tell me about like, so you went to BC, you spent three years there, you won a national championship. I still remember watching the game in New Orleans. Leslie and I were watching in a hotel. Super exciting. But you do that and then you make the decision, all right, this is, it's time to leave BC and go pro, right? So tell us a little bit about that journey, why you made that decision at that time and, you know, what it was like going into the AHL and starting your pro career. Yeah, I I was heartbroken because I, you know, I felt so good and so comfortable at BC. But again, when it's time to go, when it's time to move on, you got to make that decision and move on. If we would have lost that game, I would have went back for sure because, Again, like I said, my goal when I went to BC was to deliver for them because of what they're doing for me. And, you know, we lost two national championships in a row. I could have left after the second one we lost, and I wanted to return because hopefully we can go back and win one. And, and fortunately, we did. And if it didn't work out that way, I think I would have went back my senior year to try to win again because winning that meant everything to me, and that's all I was focused on. So, you know, after we have won, I, you know, I felt like, okay, you know, I did what I need to do for the school, and I, now I wanted to move on. You know, and that was getting to pro hockey, which now – things shifted and I learned mentally it shifts too and in, in a different mindset because it's a job yeah um, now it's a job now you know you've been playing for fun <laughs> yeah it's a job now and a lot more serious and a lot more business like you know so many things that happen outside of your control in, in the business of sports that it's uh it's insane but yeah jumping into it I you know I didn't know what to expect again like my whole life I was told I probably would never make it in junior I told I'd never make it in college I told I was ne- probably definitely never gonna make it in pro you know, being five four, so again, as a young kid, you still have doubt in your mind. I mean, I don't care who you are and how successful you are. Believe me, everyone has doubt. Everyone battles with yeah. doubt, so it's always going to be there. So I had a little bit of that going into pro until I officially started playing. I was like, okay, I can play. Like then that doubt goes away. But yeah, until I started playing, you you just didn't know, and especially in sports, you don't really know if someone can play until they play. So again, to yeah. label kids, you know, when they're younger, that oh, I don't think they can play. Well, you just never know until they play. So that was it for me. I started in the HL. It was in Portland, a great city in Maine. And yeah, I had a really good first year there. And I was just kind of looking to build off each year. Yeah. And you know, it's so interesting. You mentioned your height. And I know pro- people on this podcast probably don't know that. I mean, I think you're literally the shortest person who's ever played in the NHL, um, yeah. which is phenomenal, right? <laughs> like, it's actually an incredibly cool thing. What blows me away is that we've gotten to a place where people just look for the physical attributes and not actually how good somebody is at something. And once again, I'm, I think, cause you know, I grew up and it was football. Right. And when I thought about playing in college, the, you know, the immediate response was, well, what position are you going to play? Well, I'll be a linebacker. They're like, you're six, one, 195 pounds. You've got to grow another two inches and gain 40 pounds before that's even remotely possible. And it didn't matter that I was a good player. And I still look at it, you, yeah. you know, I think people sometimes wonder like why small schools like in the Mac 
are good at football. And yep. it's so simple to me because they go get the kids who are all all state and are 5'11", 210, instead of trying to get yep. the kid who's six foot five, 250 pounds and, and actually sucks at football. <laughs> and it just amazes me that your performance, here's a perfect example. And I, this is not to knock the kid. God bless him. Good for him. Picked first in the draft, right? Uh, this mm-hmm. kid out of Georgia. He's six foot five, 275 pounds, ran a whatever 40. He's the first, first pick of the draft in NFL history that didn't make an all-conference or all-American team. So yeah. what that tells me is like you saw him run, you see how tall he is, and you saw him do all these drills. But did you ever go watch his tape to see how good he was at football? Um, right. Isn't that what matters? And the rest of it's yeah. noise. But it really is frustrating. Like you hear people tell you, like, you're never going to make it. You can't play pro because you're 5'4". Why? Yeah. <laughs> He's good at this sport, right? And there's so many examples, maybe it's not so many, but there's so many, there are a lot of examples throughout sports where I think of Darren Sproles like playing in the NFL. I mean, he was tiny and played 12 yeah. years because, oh, he was actually good at football. Yeah. <laughs> it really is amazing. And you, you kind of have to tune that stuff out, I guess. It's like, and I, it certainly got to me, right? I thought maybe I could go play at like an Ivy League school and people just kept telling me, no, 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 not big enough. It's just, you can't do it. And that got in my head and so probably to my detriment. It's, I didn't really pursue those things as maybe as hard of, as I should have, because yep. you get enough people telling you, you can't do something and you start to believe it. And yep. please don't do that. It's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, believe, man, believe in yourself, you know, like that's, again, if like you talk about advice, advice for people and whatever they're doing, I mean, everybody in a million ways is going to tell you no or look for negative things or no one's like, you don't find anyone ever ever jumping for all the positive things that you do or for this and that. They want to jump at the negative and, you know, it's no different growing up. But at the end of the day, like, man, you put the work in and you believe in yourself because no one's going to do it for you. Everyone's going to be against you. So it's up to you to do it. That's it. Like, you know, that's what I tell young kids today and that are starting and whether in junior hockey or, you know, at the U.S. program, which where I'll, I'll go and volunteer once in a while and. You know, I always tell them the second you take your career and your responsibility, your career will take off because it's your responsibility. It's not, it's not what someone else says because it's up to you. You know, everything else is just noise. I call it external factors. Your external factors should never change internally who you are and, and what you believe in. You know, that's internally is what you control. We talk about things you can't control. Like internally, that's you. So again, believe in yourself. And, you know, if you put the work in and you truly believe it, like, go for it. Don't listen to everyone else. Yeah. No, 100%. So after this, I mean, you've had this long career in professional hockey. I always love to ask this question. And I ask it to business people, too. Right? What is it that you loved about playing? And I think about this when you said it's you go to professional hockey and it's a job. I actually noticed that transition when I went from high school football then to college football. Because, you know, it never dawned on me that my college football coaches, like, we had to win or they got fired. And that's how they fed their family. And so it became much less personal, right? It wasn't about the fun. It was about you show up, you be here on time, you go through all your drills, you do this stuff, we win games or I lose my job. And obviously that's, it's exponential when you go into professional sports. But what was it that you still loved about playing professional hockey? And then what's more interesting to me is what did you hate about it? Yeah, it's a very good question. It's uh, because as you know, as you experience more that those things change a little bit more. I guess I love waking up to something that I'm very passionate about. 
and then for me that was going to the rink and being part of a team that yep. was me being a, being a leader on a team being someone that you know all the guys can look up to or come to if they need help or you know whatever it is knowing that i'm there for them not for me so i really enjoyed that part like i really really enjoyed going to the rink and helping others progress in their career i love the development side i love looking at the bigger picture you know those are the things i think that kept me into the game longer is that i really really enjoyed people and working with people and especially my teammates i really enjoy just yeah the camaraderie and being a part of them i guess when you when you look at things i hate it's a business you know at the end of the day all you are is a you know for the money part you're a cap hit to the team um, yeah and the second that cap hit's not good enough or they can replace that cap hit you're gone so really it's you know it's like you know i've been bought out i've been uh, waived i've been sent down i've been you know extended on contracts i've been through all those phases of organizations um, at different times in my life so i've seen a lot of the business part of it and it's yeah i mean it's ugly but you know the quicker you realize that it's a business and you don't let it affect you personally then then the better off you'll be if you take everything personal you know then you're going to drive yourself crazy it's uh again not everything happens to you you know it's not you know, organizations make decisions. It's not just based on you. There's a bigger picture. And to always keep those bigger pictures in your mind when decisions are going on will help help you move on or help you mentally move past to what has happened because it's, you know, at the end of the day, you're a cap hit. You're a number to a team that, that you fit into the cycle right now. And the second you don't, you're replaceable. You're replaceable at any second. Unless you're these top-end players, like, you're replaceable. So yeah. every day, Every day for me was competing for my job. Every practice to me was games. Every game was a tryout to play the next day. Uh, your career could be cut any day of the season. So, you know, to have that pressure on you, I guess I maybe it's a love hate relationship. Like I enjoy that pressure, but at the end, but also it wears on you in some ways. Um, yeah, yeah. So I guess it would be a love hate relationship. It, it really is. I but I do love the team. I do love helping people. I love being the guy that everyone looks to for leadership or advice. I love that. Yeah. It's interesting you say it because I think people really forget when you're a fan, you forget the human aspect of it. So the trade deadline comes around, people get traded and you think, great, we picked up a new player or somebody's leaving and going someplace else. You don't think for a second, like that person has a family. Yeah. Like they, they were entrenched in that community and now they're packing up their house and, you know, for you as the player, you're probably just getting shipped out and your wife's staying behind and packing everything up and having to handle that, yeah. which, as you know, we're moving soon. And I'm like sweating bullets just over getting like shit boxed up and to have to do that in an instant without any warning. It amazes me that people don't think about that. Right. You just think of it as like, oh, I'm, you know, it's great. Our team's getting a new player. And that person could be completely miserable because they just I'm thinking actually in the context of like Mark andre Fleury coming here and saying, yeah, what the hell? Right. Yeah. Like, everybody's comfortable in Las Vegas. I don't want to move to Chicago. I don't want to uproot my kids. I don't want to put them in new schools. Yep. And that's to me, like there's a phenomenal human element that I think fans just don't even think about. But I think about it every single time there's a trade deadline. Yeah. It really is amazing. Yeah. Um, so those deadlines are hard, you know, especially if you know you're a guy be, that, that could be moved. You know, you don't sleep much because it's, yeah, it's hard. You just, your career is not in your hands. And yeah. You know, you're constantly being directed by other people. And, and what, like, what I hate the most, too, is just like the human relations part of it. It's like, it bothers me. It's like, why, why can't there be more communication throughout the process? Like, the teams don't talk to you. Most of the teams don't talk to you. And like, 
And all of a sudden, boom, you can go on Twitter and see that you've been traded. Like, you yes. out more. you'll find out quicker on, tra- on Twitter than you will, you know, through your own organization to call you. I mean, I, I, people don't really understand that part. And again, like, I think it's funny. Like, could you imagine being in business and like waking up <laughs> with Twitter and it's like, oh, Colin, you've been fired today. Like, oh, like, well, I didn't know that. Like, so someone going to call me or? <laughs> I'd be totally fucked because I'm never on Twitter. That's how it is. Like people don't realize that. Like every day you could be cut, gone, weighed, bought out, traded. But you'll find out on Twitter faster than you'll find out through your organization, which is just, to me, is completely insane. And again, like people, like I have four young kids and people don't realize the human part. Like my wife and I, we basically lived apart for the past three years. You know, we tried to, obviously in the summers we'd be together, but, you know, throughout the season, like, you know, I'll go to Columbus, she's in Cleveland, and I'm in Columbus for two, three months at a time. And it's like, okay, we don't see each other. You know, that stuff wears on you. It wears on a family. And I'm, you know, so blessed to have an absolute rock star of a wife to, you know, she handles so much of it that, you know, it makes it easier for me to play. Yeah. You know, so again, like, I would not be able to do it without her because she literally does everything and she's ready. And, and, you know, she understands kind of the business side of it. And, you know, shit happens, you know, like, even reflecting back, like, (laughs) I remember my son Lennox, we signed with the New York Rangers. We're in New York about two, three weeks after training camp. You know, I wasn't happy with the situation. So I decided to sign in Switzerland and Lennox was three weeks old, just born in Connecticut. Like, and my wife was like, okay, all right, let's pack up the house. We're going to go back to Michigan, drop things off. We're going to get on a flight and head to Geneva, Switzerland. (laughs) This is with two kids under two years old. Like, and we're, you know, again, like how quick these decisions are. Like I made that decision overnight and, you know, in the week later, we're packing up a house, moving, moving to Michigan, moving to Switzerland. Like, you know, these things are done in an instant that no one really thinks about it. But again, like, yeah, if I don't have someone like her, like it's, yeah, I have no chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, take heart that at least somebody's out there. Cause I, I honestly, this is what I think about every time I trade dead. Look, the teams I root for, I want them to get great players. But I'm I'm not ignorant to the fact that this is like these are crazy life changes. And you know, you see guys show up and they're like, they're not playing up to their potential or whatever. Like, well, think about what just happened to them. Yeah. <laughs> You're just supposed to show up, hop on a new team, bunch of guys you don't really know. Your family's like moving shit across the country. You have no idea where they are. And you're supposed to just tear it up. Like, this doesn't yeah, make a lot of sense. Relations, you know, like if and for these businesses out there, if you want successful companies, you want successful employees then, you know, teach the human, coach the human. Um, yep. Don't necessarily coach like what they're doing, their skill set or for hockey, it's on the ice. Don't necessarily coach that because if the human aspect, if the life aspect isn't aligned and isn't right, then you're not going to get the product on the ice or in a company or at work. You're not going to get that product. So if you're wondering why the product in the building and in the hockey arena is not working, well, let, let's see what's happening in their life, in their personal life. So again, I've always, my method has always been coach people coach who they are, coach what they're doing, coach their situation in life, married, not married, kids, not kids, like coach the situation, understand them. And then I guarantee you get better employees because people are always going through something. They're always, you know, there's always difficult things going in people's lives that, you know, if you're a CEO and you don't give a shit about what your employees are going through in their personal life, you only care about the product here, then you know what, you're not going to have a good, happy employee and you're not going to have a successful employee. So you know, for me, and again, I can't wait to get into the side of the world because I've learned so much through 14 years and I've really understood, oh, it's it's the human relations that gets you success. It's not necessarily anything else. Like it's it's coaching the human. It's making the human, you know, feel like they're important. You can trust them. They can trust you. You know, they're happy. They're taken care of. Their family feels good. Then you'll have a successful company. Yeah. 
No, it's funny you mention it because like for my company, what we've told everybody is, hey, you need a day. We don't have any set amount of days off, right? You need a day off, take a day off and you don't, don't ask permission, right? You can just say, hey, on Wednesday, I'm going to be gone because I've got to go do X, Y, Z. And we will trust that you are doing it in good faith. Mm-hmm. And in turn, we'll trust that you'll also get your work done and that everything will be fine. And I think people really respect that. Because I remember when I was working for other people, you know, it'd be like, man, I want to go on vacation for two days. And I would get like, you know, a rock in my like stomach thinking I have to go ask permission to do this. And what if they say no? Right? <laughs> That's a shitty way to live. It's really a shitty way to live. And like, we're adults, right? If I can't trust you to be an adult and you can't trust me to be an adult, then we have much bigger problems. Yeah. Um, And the pandemic is, you know, obviously you always try to take some positive things out of something. And I think the pandemic has given people and companies flexibility, obviously to work from home, but to have more of a personal family life. Yes. And a work life. But then is what I assume is most companies are probably understanding that is, oh, like we're still running fine. We're still a good, we're still successful. Like, Oh, yep. so maybe I don't need to be here from, you know, nine in the morning till six at night. Maybe I actually only needed four hours of work to get the work done. You know, so I think it's just life efficiency. And I think once companies can realize that, that, hey, oh, if I have a happier employee, actually, I get my work still done. So and yeah. not only that, you have a better family life for that employee has a better you know marriage, has a better relationship with their kids and, you know, so forth, which is a much better cycle than than the other way. Yeah. Well, let's talk just very quickly, and I want to get to the lightning round. I don't want to keep you too long today, but I've got two more just regular questions before we hit the lightning round. And you've touched on it, obviously. You're a dad. you got lots of kids. What has being a dad taught you? I mean, I, I always think about the stuff it's taught me because I, you know, we were very close to me not being a dad, right? We tried and it wasn't happening. We thought this ship has sailed and it's not going to occur. I'm incredibly grateful it did. Yeah. Grace of God, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it really is. Or, I mean, there's also like, strange karma involved, right? Because we bought a place in Colorado thinking we weren't going to have a kid. And then boom, Leslie's pregnant a month later. <laughs> so if you call it grace of God, sometimes maybe it's like the humor of God too. I don't know. Yeah, um, true, yeah. <laughs> I always, but, one line I always loved is that like, and I'm a huge planner. I plan a lot of things and I'm always ready for different things. And like, but I always laugh, man. You want it's like the saying, you want to hear God laugh, man, tell him your plans. And <laughs> never go accordingly so you gotta be ready to adapt and that's yeah that's one situation for you guys i was like well we get this beautiful thing but now we gotta figure out <laughs> what, what the hell we do with this damn house we just yeah. bought <laughs> so you no. say, man, he's waiting to put you in a pickle yeah i mean but that's look i mean it taught me a million different things there's nothing in my life i'm more grateful for mm-hmm. but you know you become a father and you learn different things you learn stuff about you yeah. right what has it taught you? Uh, yeah, like like you said, you learn a million, million different things. I guess there's there's a few things that it taught me. In the, like, so I, I try to approach everything the same way I approach hockey. You know, being a parent, I'm going to work extremely, extremely hard. I'm going to self-reflect. I'm going to try to be better. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to communicate. I try to take that into parenting because there's no difference really. Like, yeah, hockey, I want to be better. I want to be a, be successful. I want this and that. But I'm going to I want to be a good parent and. For me, that's going to take hard work. That's going to be take failing. That's going to take learning. That's going to be communicating with my kids. That's going to be all of that, right? So you learn so much about yourself through that. But honestly, it's like the, the patience and the self-reflection, I think for me, is is what I've really learned about a parent. Because again, like we're trying to do things the best of what we can. And for me, again, I take how I grew up and I just, you know, what can I take to make, try to push that and be better? 
And that's what I try to do and, and try to model everything I do off of is just trying to be better each day. And kids teach you funny lessons, man. Like you sell yourself <laughs> this. They're smart. Like I laugh all yes. the time. Like I'll say they'll catch me in so many things. And you're like, shit. Like <laughs> I say, you know what? You are right. And I am wrong. Yeah. Like I say stuff all the whole time, you know, like, so you're, so you're always self-reflecting and, but kids at, at the end of the day, like how great is this? Like you get to lead grace into this world and you get to teach him what, what you want to teach him and, and how you want to teach him. And you get to help him to adapt into the society and the world. Like that's such an amazing you know, thing. And if I look at like the big picture of the, if you can give one gift to the world, it's that. Uh, yeah. And for me, it's with four kids, it's being able to say, oh, wow, like I get to take these kids and help them prepare in this world. And that's my gift to the world. And hopefully I, you know, raise good fundamentals in my kids and they can help out um, through this world. And, you know, it's taught me so much uh, patience as well. It's, it's funny, man. Like I, I'm one of those guys who just always, I, I like things done fast, you know, whether it's, Kids ready for school, whether it's like this and that. It's like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like, get your shoes on, let's go, let's get your shoes on, shoes, shoes. You know, like, I just like things quick. And man, I've had to like dial back so many times. I'm like, okay, like, I got to have more patience here. Like, I can't tell a kid to put a shoe on seven times in a row. Like, he knows. <laughs> you know, so like little things like that. It's, uh, man, these kids, yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, like you said, there's no greater thing in the world. Like, I, I love being a dad and, and being a good dad literally pushes me every day to be better and yeah that self-reflection i think uh colin is for everyone in this in this world and is huge man like the self-awareness can go so far in, into your marriage into your uh, parenthood as well yeah i remember sitting in a bar with brian higgins everybody who doesn't know my brother-in-law when leslie was pregnant and being like oh, holy shit man what the hell am i gonna do like <laughs> i was freaking right just freaking out how am i gonna handle this and he was like most important job you'll ever have man <laughs> and i was like that's not exactly helping brian i'm not feeling more relaxed <laughs> i actually feel worse yeah i'm having more scared but he was right he was a thousand percent spot on yeah um, it's, it's an important job it's it's scary when you really think about it too you know like when you reflect like oh wow this is i hope i'm doing it the right way but again like and for all the parents out there like there is no book to the right way um yeah you know, yep. the, the right way is through love and communication. And I, you know, how you do that is, is everyone's individual choice. And yeah, but there's no right way. Yeah, man, just that's what my wife and I try to do love and communication. Like everything I do is through love, whether I'm hard on my kids or, or whatever, or playing with them. It's, it's with the intent of love. That's it. Yep. Yep. All right. One last question, then we'll get to the lightning round. And this, this one's purely for me. Who's the best player you've ever played against? And who's the best goalie you've ever played against? Ooh, good question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I played against a lot of good players. I guess I'll go back. Probably Datsuk and Zetterberger up there for me. Um, yeah. You know, obviously Crosby, I, you know, he's my age, so I grew up playing against him for a long time. So, you know, he's obviously very, very good. But, you know, coming into the NHL and seeing Datsuk and seeing Zetterberger and seeing how good they are and how how hard they work, there's no, there's no secret to why they're successful when you watch them play and play against them. And, you know, Datsuk's probably one of the only guys in the NHL that when he got the puck, it was, you know, as someone who was like, for me, aggressive. And I was like, oh, man, like, I, I don't really want to go at him because he's that. <laughs> you can't read him. Like, he's so deceptive that you you really don't know what he's doing out there. And he can embarrass you. You know, you'll be on the highlight reel. So, like, he's really one of the only players that I've gone against. I'm like, man, I don't want to, like, pressure him too hard because I don't know what he's doing. Like, he could, like, 
make me fall and like break my ankle or something like <laughs> he's that good you know so it's like yeah he definitely yeah i love watching him and yeah i wish he was still playing yeah is he still playing the khl i don't know i just don't know i thought he did this year i thought he did yeah got it well best goalie then oh best goalie um it's a lot of good goalies. Like I came in with well, Martin Brodeur was still playing. Uh, he was obviously older at the time, but I guess w- when you go like career accomplishments and look at his career, uh, yeah, and everything, you know, he's he's obviously going to go down as one of the you know top two greatest goalies of all time, probably with uh, my guest Patrick Wall. Him and Patrick Wall are probably the two best. And yeah, he's someone that he was older, so you know maybe he struggled a bit more when I was playing against him and, and wasn't the same. But when you look at career accomplishments and being one of the greatest of all time, that was you know I loved going against him. Yeah. I love you're saying like he's older. He's probably like 36. <laughs> like yeah, ho- hockey older. Like, you know, like yeah. I'm turning 35 and I've been like the oldest on our team for the last like three years. It's, it's <laughs> the league's so young. It's like, it's crazy, man. Uh, I love it. All right. Well, let's do the lightning round. So just quick one sentence answers just off the top of your head. Favorite movie and why? <sighs> Favorite movie. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I like the, the Dark Knight Rises. Oh, it's a good movie. Yeah, good movie. You know, the opening scene is one of the best openings yeah. in any movie. I, I could watch that opening scene over and over. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah, that's a good one. Favorite person and why? Other than me. Other than me. <laughs> yeah, are we going like athlete? Are we going like celebrity? Are we going just person? No, just just your favorite person. Oh, that I have to say, my wife. Yeah, she's obviously I've mentioned her before. She's a rock star. Takes care of everything, but you know she's from Hawaii and she has that. That the patience is is what you think someone from Hawaii has, and the calmness, yeah. and just like one of those very calm, kind people. So yeah, she's you know obviously you know I married her because it's her, but yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I agree. She is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> What's your biggest pet peeve? Ooh, biggest pet peeve. Oh man, I got a lot of them, but <laughs> I do too. It's uh, like I, can... I would say there, there's two. Probably hypocrisy is one, and two. I would say messy like if the house is messy it's I, it oh. insane i have like crazy ocd man i'll clean the house after i play games at like one in the morning because i can't function when things are dirty yeah i'm crazy that way you know i clean the house every day oh i do man i do too like I literally <laughs> do all I, like running literally i'll finish the whole game at the nhl and i'll come home and i'll start like vacuuming room. <laughs> well, for me actually uh, later on i realized i think it's a form it was a form of therapy for me yeah, because yep. it calmed me down. It, it let me do something without thinking. And after games, you're always like anxiety and stuff. And I was just like, yeah, I'm just a better worker. So I just work and yeah, I can close my mind off and that's better. Yeah, 100%. All right. In 10 years, you'll be doing what? Hopefully a general manager in the NHL. Oh, right on. <laughs> I really like that one. Yeah. If somebody was going to play you in a movie, who would it be and why? Ooh, that's a good <laughs> I would say, ooh, I would say either Matt Damon or Wahlberg. I like both of them. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. Oh, you're got, you got some Boston guys. Yeah, pull out the accent I'm not for you. Tall, so that's perfect. I think. Yeah. All right. Last one. What's the most important trait you look for in people? Uh, I would say honesty and real, like genuine. I'd like real people. I, you know, I, I, I think you meet so many people in, in in professional sports and this and that. Man, I hate fake people. Yeah. I hate it. Like, just be real. Just be genuine, man. Like everyone, you don't have to try to be someone else. You know, if you're fake, you can, you'll be sniffed out real quick. <laughs> you know, you're not the first person who said that on this podcast. <laughs> no, really? 
<laughs> nope. That's funny. No, that's that's cool. that's I mean, I think people, man. Like, I love, I love meeting real people and just, yeah, good people. And yeah, you meet fake people and it's like, why? Like, just, just be yourself, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always say, like, mine is like a moral compass, right? They tie together. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Nathan, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it for everybody listening. Nathan Gerby, professional hockey player for many years, future general manager. Honestly, it was great talking to you, man, and, and thanks for coming on. Thank you, Colin. I appreciate it. I'm uh, looking forward to following you guys. Good deal. 